listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 6th of July, 2023. Uh, later, we have Evan Lucas from InvestSmart on Market Day to talk about why investors should expect some volatility on the Australian share market coming up. But first, despite rising interest rates, Australians are still buying new cars. The Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries says 581,000 new vehicles were sold in the first half of 2023. That is an increase of 8.2% on the same time last year. But can that continue? And if you're looking to buy, what are the new trends in the sector? For that, I spoke with the Chamber's Peter Griffin. I guess June would I would assume be typically a strong month as um, corporates especially head into to buy, purchase a vehicle ahead of tax time. But this particular June um, was one of the best since 2018. Why so? It was the best since 2018. Look, there are many reasons behind that. Obviously, the first one, as you said, about the end of the financial year and businesses and individuals wanting to get their new vehicle before uh, before the end of the tax year. But we've also had a very turbulent couple of years in the auto sector with issues around vehicle deliveries, plant closures because of uh, COVID uh, microprocessor delays and issues around logistics and shipping and just getting vehicles there. And we're moving through that phase now. We're not totally uh, through it. There's still some recovery to be done, particularly around the shipping schedules. But we're starting to see a normalisation of the market with deliveries coming through, factories churning out the product, microprocessors being made. So that starts to account for getting us back to these numbers again. Given that supply and demand hasn't really matched up just yet, as you've mentioned, and putting uh, into context these numbers that we saw, what do you think it says about the state of the economy we're in, Um, especially in demand, especially in the context of high interest rates, inflation, and these post-COVID and supply chain issues we saw? Well, again, interesting question that timing is an important factor with this. And some of the deliveries or many of the deliveries that are being made in June this year would be for orders that would have been placed back in 2022. So it has taken some time for these these deliveries to come through. And these numbers that we release every month are based on actual sales, actual deliveries of vehicles and registrations, not on the orders. So I guess uh, it would be interesting to see what the order book looks like for June as opposed to the deliveries. We'll see the deliveries from last month sometime down the track. Having said that, our our members are saying that uh, the, the demand is still pretty solid. Uh, and uh, people are still looking to buy a new vehicle. Um, what are we seeing in terms of price? We know inflation is hitting many parts of the economy. Um, is it influencing car prices? Well, a competitive market, like any any product, the prices will be reviewed, and that's going to be a matter for our members, of course, to, to deal with on an individual basis. Um, so we'll just see how that that works through uh, with the with the way the economy is running. But I suggest that very competitive. We're one of the most open markets in the world for automotive. And uh, there are over 60 brands trying to sell product to the Australian consumer. So it still remains competitive. Okay. Can we finally talk about what I think are three key trends in the report this month? Um, Utes still highly popular in Australia. Why so? 78% of all new vehicle sales in June were Utes. And that's been the common result that we've seen for about the, for quite a period of time. Passenger car sales, as we remember them from the old days of the Commodores and Falcons and, and, and Camrys that we used to drive a lot of, they're down to about 16%. These are clearly the preference for Australians. 
these vehicles are very different to what they were 20 years ago. They're fantastic specification. They have space. Uh, they travel the distances that Australians like to like to travel. Good for the family. Good for your business. So that's why they uh, remain very very popular vehicles. Also, we've seen changes in the drive train as well, uh, with uh, introduction of, of hybrid um, uh, engines in these vehicles, and increasingly, but still in relatively low, low numbers, the battery electric uh, models coming through too. Yeah, so can we explore those electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles in in more detail? Just how popular are they becoming? Well, the numbers don't lie, I suppose. Uh, uh, it's about 8.8% of sales were electric vehicles this month. If you go back a year, it was probably around 2%. So the demand is certainly there for this sort of technology. It's outstanding technology. And if it suits your lifestyle and suits your pocket, then it's a wonderful way to go. Um but we've never really been concerned as an industry about the uptake of EVs, particularly the first 20% of EVs, the early adopters, people who want to get in there and see the real value. It's really the, the last 40% of how we move that portion of the market in the longer term over to an electric vehicle. Because right now, EV technology is not available in all the segments that Australians choose to buy. Not yet. It will happen. And also the price point can be beyond some budgets. And finally, would it be fair to say that Chinese vehicles are making inroads in Australia? I mean, I've noticed there's brands like VYD, your MGs, didn't really know where they were coming from. And then I I realised they're from China. Yeah, China. China is now the third uh, largest source of vehicles for the Australian market. So as we move down this electric uh, pathway, electrification pathway, brands such as BYD uh, certainly starting to make their mark. But also China as a manufacturing nation for some of the other brands is significant also. Uh, Polestar, Tesla coming through the, through the, uh, through China. So I expect we'll see China as a significant player for vehicle supplies I- into the long term. Peter Griffin there from the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. We've got more to come on the SBS on the Money podcast, including an interview uh, about the new launch of a social media platform to take on Twitter. But first... Now, Market Day on the SBS on the Money podcast. The Australian share market had its worst one-day loss in about two weeks. The S&P ASX 200 down 1.2% to 7,163. I spoke with Evan Lucas from Invest Smart for more. I, look, I think it's a catch-up from last couple of weeks. So the, the sentiment going into the end of the financial year was was pretty strong, and that is being questioned. There was always that question about what is actually driving it up. We're now also starting to get previews around what we might see for the end of financial year results that come out at the end of this month and start of August. And then the big one, let's also put it out there, the Americans came back from 4th of July in a little bit of a soggy spirit, and you saw last night that the Dow and the S&P also had a bit of an off day. So put that all together, and I I think that can explain it, because at the moment the justification of the rally that we've seen over the last four weeks is, is hard to put there. Earnings are going to be under pressure. We know that. You can see also that margins will be questioned the reason things have been okay is because price increases, not because of sales increases. And and all that, I think, is coming to head. People are now asking the question, what in this coming earnings season is going to justify prices at the current rate they are? Still, though, from its peak earlier this year, the Australian share market is down 5.5%. 
while the US share market, the S&P 500, is up about the same over the same period of time. So the Australian share market down, the US up. Why the discrepancy? So the discrepancy, first and foremost, it's technology needs to be pointed out there. So we know around AI, they was initially had that fall in AI. So if you look at, you know, NVIDIA, if you look at Facebook, if you look at Meta, uh, sorry, if you look at uh, Amazon and you also look at Google, Apple as well, they had a bit of a, de- a decline about four weeks ago and have rallied again. So particularly, you know, NVIDIA and where it's going, the AI story. The other thing that's been interesting in the States is that there is now a much broader movement in earnings. So originally it was just those sort of six stocks I mentioned and that AI revolution. What's starting to show signs is that it's actually spreading out into the rest of the S&P 500 and they're actually doing better than them was forecasted. Here in Australia, what's slightly different is that at the moment you are now starting to ask questions about the commodity story, which has probably shielded us from the issues that have happened over the last two years is being questioned. Iron ore's under pressure, coal's under pressure. There's been big downgrades in nickel and copper. So that's no longer shielding us. The China story as well. Then you've got to ask about, you know, what's going on with interest rates. If you look at the big shakeup that's going on, banks are now being questioned about what's going on with new lending. You know, when you think about the APRA rules, standard variable rate 6.5% plus 3%. New loans are very hard now, and you can see that in the data. Spending, we know, is also going backwards. So the ASX doesn't have the AI revolution to support it. We're not getting the same earnings spread that the states are, and that can explain the difference between why the ASX is easing off and the S&P is doing other things. But overall, don't forget, last year the S&P had a shocker and we got through it okay. This year it's the reverse. So it's probably... You know, all out in the wash, it's, it's sort of mixing out there. But there is that difference. The yes, you know, unfortunately, we don't have the technology companies like the US does. And we don't have the broader earnings that the US has here because our, our companies are, are very stock specific and very sector specific. You mentioned commodities. Australia's trade surplus recorded today, jumping uh, to $11.8 billion in May. That's better than expected. Our trade with China is slowly improving, but still below record levels. Commodity prices have helped particularly coal, but like you said, iron ore is steady. What do you make of China's role in the global economy and its uh, relevance to Australia? Yeah, so that is the question. that, like, China is almost the only nation that hasn't had the COVID renaissance after the roll-off of restrictions. And that's what's confunding a lot of people at the moment. I mean, at the end of last year, there was this belief that the Chinese consumer and the Chinese stimulus story would probably support the first half of this calendar year. It's been there, but not anywhere near the level that was expected. There wasn't anywhere near, and they, they are, unlike what we're experiencing and most of the developed world is experiencing, which is high inflation and higher interest rates, they've got almost no inflation at all. And they're actually going down a stimulatory path to try and get themselves kick-started because it just hasn't seen that kind of movement. And that, again, explains, if you look at steel pricing, steel pricing is under real pressure. Margins are shocking over in China. The iron ore story, therefore, is following that. The Current policies from Beijing also just aren't that sort of stereotypical last 40 years of of understanding around the China story. It's not the same. And I think that needs to be put out there very clearly. Yes, the trade balance showed slightly better numbers. And yes, the China story is slightly recovering. But I think we are now going to have to ask pre and post COVID China are different. That is clear. That is the way they're going about it. And that their story is now 
very much moving towards the middle class and that the development around infrastructure is not going to be the same. The demand for iron ore and those kinds of products will always be the leader in the world, but not at the levels that we saw from 1990 up to, you know, 2020. They are different now, and China is telling us that. We're going to have to adapt as a nation. And given everything you've just said, are there any opportunities for investors right now then? So the, the new world commodities in that space, I mean, that's the only other argument to this, is that you can see that the change around lithium, I mean, if you look at what's happened, you asked the question at the start about, you know, Australian versus US stocks. Well, the only thing that's sort of going hand in hand in those two is Australian lithium and US lithium companies outperform Chinese lithium companies. That's one. Nickel is the next one as well. You can see that although nickel's under pressure as we speak, the long-term story for that is, is, is probably one to watch quite closely, and it's, it's getting bigger in terms of, of what that space is. The final one that I think you can't go past, I don't think the, the third revolution, as some people call it, or third digital age AI, that is just beginning. And, and, and there are players here in Australia that have that exposure that I think is, is exciting, even with the, the almost euphoric level that we're at. The long-term view of that is, is clear. So I think new world metals and new technology remain you know, the bright spots. What, what will be quite a tricky period because there is chance of you know, recession, chance of slow growth, chance of stagflation in the next 18 to 24 months. They're the standouts. Evan Lucas there from InvestSmart. Now to the battle between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. Instagram has today launched a similar text-based service to Twitter. It's called Threads. And Raina Bosch spoke with Natalia Laba. She is a digital media specialist at the University of New South Wales. Threads looks like a new strategy to make up for the failed metaverse from Meta, but also an attempt to provide the users with a more verbally oriented platform in contrast to more visually oriented Instagram and Reels. The new app closely resembles Twitter visually, although some of the wordings have been changed, marked with the Instagram flavor, with retweets called reposts and tweets called threads. We also see some expanded affordances. For example, threads can reach 500 characters, while the majority of Twitter users are capped at 280 characters. Instagram integration is definitely an advantage as it will allow for a more seamless sign-up process and it allows users to follow accounts they already form some sort of uh, social connection with. But the issues of data privacy and readability of terms and conditions are quite concerning. Um, Looking through public response to the threads launched this afternoon, finally on Twitter, I saw Twitter users complaining about the complexity of terms of use of this new product. So this shows that the questions of transparency and accountability of data custodianship is at the forefront of public conversation. Now, as you mentioned there, many of the features do closely resemble Twitter in itself. So what does this mean for the Bluebird moving forward? And uh, do you foresee users jumping ship? The competitive advantage of threads is that they have the users as the app allows importing the handles of Instagram followers. And given the whole turmoil with Twitter, there is a chance that this app will be successful, also because they have a clear corporate mission and resources in contrast to more um, decentralized and still clunky alternatives such as Mastodon. In addition, Zuckerberg's previous strategies to lure users from rival products have been successful. For example, Instagram Reels made to mimic TikTok. 
I'm curious to see how this develops and particularly how the platform will navigate content scraping by AI-powered tools. In terms of possible futures for social media more broadly, I think platform competition is good because it gives people at least some choice as well as an additional incentive for the companies to deliver a better product. Now, both Elon Musk and Twitter have been criticised over the recent months for changes to the platform. What do you expect in terms of their response to this? Knowing Elon Musk's communication style, but I'm speculating here, I'd expect him to downplay the competition and perhaps even make comparisons with a failed metaverse project. At the end of the day, Twitter is still the main digital public square and time will show if Meta's product is successful enough to challenge Twitter's status. Finally, what does this mean for the future direction of social media in terms of the face-off between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg? Do you see more platforms coming out of this? Definitely see platform users to flock from one platform to another and see how this develops. Um, interesting to see how decentralized platforms such as Mastodon will respond to this. And I guess I guess it gives a clear sign that perhaps more competition will emerge to challenge the status of well-established platforms. That is Natalia Laba there from the University of New South Wales speaking with Rainer Bosch. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Listener.